So Money episode 664, Lauren Slayton, founder of Food Trainers and author of the book, The Little Book of Thin. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. As we approach the end of the year, I thought we'd like to hear from one of the country's top health and nutrition coaches. And I say this as I've just completed a slice of pizza. Whatever, it was veggie. Lauren Slayton is here. She's the founder of Food Trainers, a private nutritional counseling office in New York City. She's also the author of the popular book, The Little Book of Thin. Lauren is here talking about the financial lessons she learned from her mom, a feisty businesswoman in Manhattan who operated parking garages. That's hardcore. We also discuss the benefits, all the great benefits of saying no, just no, why it feels so good. That, and of course, how to stay in our genes over the holidays. Here is Lauren Slayton. Lauren Slayton, welcome to So Money. Great to have you on the show. Hi, Farnoosh. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you this time of year as we are winding things down, and I call it the season of eating. It's a season of giving. It's a season of of interacting and of eating. We just got out of the Thanksgiving holiday. It's uh, middle of December now, and we are approaching another holiday season. And so to have someone who is the author of The Little Book of Thin and the founder of Food Trainers, it's really great to capture your advice for all of us. What's, what's one thing that you like to tell your clients this time of year? Well, I think first, don't you know, sort of avoid at all costs waiting till the New Year's resolution to make your changes. Because I think even if you wait through a weekend or wait through a holiday or, or I'll be good next week, anytime we do that postponing, we enable, you know, sort of craziness to ensue with our eating between, you know, the point um, until you get there. Uh, so, and I think people are getting that. I think, in, I think clients, instead of you know, going silent during this month and, um, you know, checking back in with us in January are now really trying to strategize, you know, this time of year is always terrible for me or every time I go to a party, I do this so that you can troubleshoot your month depending on what your obstacles are. Yeah, this is a good month to ease into things. I just, you know, after Thanksgiving, now I'm on this, tell me if I'm crazy, but now I'm on this kind of uh, path where I'm, I'm trying to just eat all natural whole foods. So like nuts and fruit and lean meats, not, not exactly Atkins, um, cause I'm having fruit and sugar, but like, I'm just trying to not eat something that's in a box or that came with packaging. <laughs> There's no, you're not going to get a nutritionist that's going to argue with that, I hope. And I yeah. think, and I think the thing, aside from not getting additives and, you know, coloring and things when you do eat the packaged food, what you're doing when you're eating whole foods is you're not getting overly stimulated. So sweets and very starchy things, they drive our desire for those things by design, whereas natural foods don't necessarily do that to you. 
That is true. That is a a good side effect is that you feel fuller. Aside from obviously being a health expert, Lauren, you are also a mom, you're an entrepreneur, you're a New Yorker. I can say that, right? You've been living here for quite a long time. Yes, forever. (laughs) Forever. Um, You you have a great website and and I'm obsessed with your blog. And so I want to talk about a lot of things. Maybe we could even start with your whole spin on health and nutrition and how you have designed your business around that. Can you share with us kind of like who is, Lauren Slayton, the entrepreneur and the the health expert? Yeah, well, I, I, before I, I opened Food Trainers, which was 2001, so we just um, turned 16, um, I was doing two things. I was in obesity research at St. Luke's and I was um, doing nutrition for the Equinox Fitness Club. So I had, you know, sort of both ends of the spectrum. And I noticed that I had clients who would brag about their, um, you know, top trainer and um, were so proud to talk about the number of training sessions they had a week. And then they would sneak into my office like it was embarrassing. <laughs> um, they were seeing the nutritionist, you know, there must be something wrong with them. And it, and it just I felt as if the whole process of seeing a nutritionist had to be redefined. It had to somehow be fun a la seeing a trainer or a great workout or something like that and and not something that's closeted. So that's literally where the word food trainers came from. I also made the decision and social media definitely helps that I really wanted to build a nutrition brand versus being Lauren Slayton. I Maybe part of it is that I don't like all the attention. And part of it was that I didn't really see that, you know, 16 years ago was a different time in wellness happening. There were experts. And and I thought that that, you know, sort of um, lent itself to it being a different sort of experience rather than, you know, seeing someone in a hospital or seeing a therapist or something like that. Did you arrive at, at this world with your own set of health trip ups? Um, I mean, I think I arrived in this world with just being obsessed, not in a bad way with um, nutrition. I think when I realized nutrition could be a career, um, I was always uh, into sports and I come from a house where there's tons of cooking You know, really a pretty healthy relationship with food. Um, but I just love the idea that this could be, um, a profession instead of a hobby. Let's talk about money, you know, through our conversation about money, maybe we can learn more about your entrepreneurship and the way that you approach raising kids and leading your life. But let's start from the beginning when you were younger, what was the sort of relationship around money that your household exhibited? Yeah, I think even, Less so about money. I think the example, my mother was sort of my prime example when it came to money, um, which is good in itself that it was, you know, sort of a mother and not a father, I think, for um, a woman seeing that. But my grandfather died. um, I was four years old and my mom was in her 30s. And he gave one daughter his house. He left it, you know, he sort of um, in his will. And my mother got his business, um, which was uh, parking garages. So here was my mother, this, um, you know, sort of very feminine looking person running parking garages in lower Manhattan. And for most, I mean, my earliest memories are her doing that. So it wasn't as if I remember that transition. Um, But A, she was given her piece of the, um, you know, puzzle. What she was bequeathed was not a sure thing. She had to maintain this business and really work for it. Um, but I also, you know, saw a mother being, you know, a 
badass for lack of a better word when it came to making money and running a business and, you know, forget having any females around. There were just, um, it was just a whole different world for her that she jumped into. Wow. Talk about being thrown into entrepreneurship. Was she thankful? Did she just feel like I got to make the best of this? What was the example that she set in terms of how did she receive this? Yeah. I mean, my mom's a tough cookie. Um, so I don't, I, I don't even think we ever had a conversation about, um, being, uh, you know, sort of hesitant about it all. I mean, she was coming from, she was a bridal buyer. So she was coming from a different universe completely, um, and thrown into it, but she was just, she was always the kind of person that could, you know, sort of superwoman e in that she could work, be in a garage, parking cars or helping the men come home, cook. And there was just, there wasn't a complaint. I think that she didn't grow up with a lot of money and the idea of having a business that could potentially generate some um, was always something that she was grateful for versus um, resenting it at all. Mm-hmm. Well, she was chosen, after all, to do this. Yes. Your grandfather could have picked his other daughter, but maybe there was a reason why he chose your mom. Yes, the other daughter thinks there was a reason. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. So now how has this trans- shaped the way that you think about work and money as a, as a, as a mother, as an entrepreneur, and as a woman? Yeah, I mean, it's strange because I, you know, certainly, I mean, I, I grew up in sort of in a comfortable situation, but I definitely think because my mom was running her business, there was always, you know, a little bit of not of money worry more so even than money pressure. Um, but I, and I think that for the most part, instead of making me, you know, especially money conscious, I think, especially in my early years, I was never a spender, but I never liked discussing money. I never, you know, sort of enjoyed the topic, I think, because I associated it with stress. What stresses you out still about money? Is there anything? I just, I mean, I, I we were joking in my office that I was doing a financial podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, we, I do knock on wood have run a successful business, but I'm, I've always been much more the idea ideas person than the spreadsheet person. Um, so it's, it's sort of this, you know, happy accident that my business has run as well as it has. And it's, and it's really a a rather simple business when you sort of look at it in terms of, um, pieces of the puzzle. And, you know, I really just need myself a computer and a desk. So yeah, I think I've been sort of money averse for, um, more time than I'd like to admit. Money averse. Interesting from someone who runs a successful business. Well, tell us some of the secrets to how your business is successful. The simplicity sounds like that's one aspect. Yeah. And I think, I think because of my outlook, I've never, again, for better or for worse, I've never entered an opportunity for the money. You know, I, I always knew that I needed to be, you know, I am married, but I needed to be self-sufficient. I wanted to be self-sufficient. I wanted to be able to travel and my kids to go to summer camp and things like that. But I was never sort of, that's never how I've made a decision. Um, you know, obviously I'll look at a contract and see, see if it makes sense according to time, but it's never been what's driven me. Uh, and I think that that's actually worked out well because there's always passion. There's always sort of a willingness to work as hard as I have to for whatever it is I'm doing at the time. You had also mentioned to me prior to recording, Lauren, that you've gotten better over the years at saying no. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there, I think a few things when it comes to my profession. I think that the world that we live in, just to give an example, is is very, you know, media driven. You do, you know, sort of excellent media work. And I think that there was a sense I had that to be successful, I needed not not the fame, but that it was, you know, good to be on TV or good to, you know, sort of do every article. And I just now that I've gotten older, I've realized, you know what, I, I really love being behind my computer or in my office with a client um, or, or writing something more than I like necessarily, um, you know, sort of broadcasting it. And so I, of course, will do something that's good for the brand in terms of, of television or something that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but I'm much more selective. I think I'm much more driven by what I want to do versus what I feel is the right thing or the, the thing that indicates success. And so when you're negotiating or thinking of negotiating with yourself, you know, should I do this? Should I not? Is it worth it? Is it not? How do you measure an opportunity? What are the things that come that are really important to you these days as uh, someone who runs not just a business, but a household? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's 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 time, you know, time, time is money, but it's um, it's time away from my kids. It could be it's time away from my office um, if, it, if it's something that's taking me on the road, et cetera. And it's incredibly unscientific, but I, I think most of us get a gut response. Like, does this excite me? Does this, do I think this is going to end up being something that's worthwhile or that I'm proud of, et cetera. So um, I, I'm, you know, sort of a, a fairly quick decision maker. Um, I, I still have a sense of guilt when I say no, but I say no um, a lot more often. Yeah. And, and sometimes I feel like at, at this stage in your career and in your life, when you've accomplished a lot, it's it's a reward to be able to exercise the power of no more now than ever. Um, I have a friend who says, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. <laughs> that, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. What's a money habit that you have, Lauren? Well, as a health expert, you have many good habits. But when it comes to your financial regimen, do you have something that you practice daily or even once in a while, but it's conscious? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, first, there's always outsourcing. So, you know, a good accountant is um, really nice to have. But I, I think that because it's not my, you know, favorite topic or my forte when it comes to um, finances and budgets and things of that nature, I really, you know, I do my accounting on a daily basis in terms of tracking the clients that I see and the products that they purchased. And I, I find that not postponing it, which is you know something that I try to do in general with um, other aspects of my life, is the only way that for me, bills don't pile up or I don't have a, a stack of billing to do um, from client files on my desk. Right. Outsourcing is huge. Um, it's it's well worth the investment. And later on, I'll ask you about one thing that you spend on that makes your life easier or better. You can't say housekeeping because that's what everybody says. So just prepare something different. Okay. Uh, ahead of that, though, what's a financial failure that you experienced? It doesn't have to be recently and it doesn't have to be like a home foreclosure, but something that goes in the category of, you know, not the best financial move. Yeah. I mean, I think that less so fortunately than having, like you said, a, a complete financial meltdown, um, like two things that have worked a little bit against me when it comes to certain projects are, um, on one hand, um, being more of an ideas person than I am, you know, sort of an executor. So my, my head is always spinning what we can do and this project and this topic for the blog, et cetera, but putting those things into action. And I think that when it comes to actual projects, 
being a little gun shy about investing in order to in order to sort of capitalize on that re- return. And I think there's been a couple of projects that were excellent ideas, and I've seen other people be successful with them that I just didn't, you know, sort of go all in financially. Yeah. And then have you later measured how much that could have earned you? Yes. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've seen, other, as I said, seen other people earn that, um, known, you know, sort of learn that lesson that, you know, whether it's in um, investing in, you know, promoting a project or, um, you know, sort of on the front end, um, laying down the money, you know, now I'm more confident to do that. Um, but I think that I always sort of ran the other way when I um, saw what's, what I thought some things would involve. The Little Book of Thin is a book that you published a few years ago. That's pretty so money. Um, I love when people publish books. It's always a great accomplishment. And was it this something always that you, was on your bucket list? It's, it's so funny that I, I still think it's funny that I wrote a book and I want to write another one because I've always been, you know, in the math and science lane that I didn't even know until I think I was 35 that I like to write. Um, so I think that, you know, that's something that, you know, people should definitely experiment. Um, but I, I definitely felt like as I developed the practice that a, I wanted a price point for people, you know, something that I can offer people that couldn't afford one-on-one sessions. Um, I did, you know, definitely, love my savvy New York, mainly clientele, but um, I wanted to sort of have more reach. Um, And I just really fell in love with writing rather late in life. Yeah. Um, The book is very much can be, like you said, a a great way to get more people to get know what you do, get more visibility. Has it done that in the sense that it's gotten you more, quote unquote, out there? What have been some of the ways that the book has helped you advance your business? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, I remember sitting with my therapist and she was like, just know that, you know, a book doesn't make you money. You're, you know, unless you're, you know, sort of a, a complete runaway bestseller. Um, and it was, that was not, you know, sort of the- Your therapist is wise. <laughs> um, and, um, and has written books, but, um, so it was, that was never what it was. So I sort of had, um, even though I really, you know, stand behind the book and I think that in my space, it's, it's different in many ways than what's out there. I underestimated sort of what it would do in terms of branding and, um, you know, just, I got an email this morning from someone who wants to do phone sessions in Sweden and it's just, it never gets old when I feel like somebody, you know, in a place I've never been to is some has somehow fallen on, you know, my book. You're huge in Sweden. That's awesome. It's really, it's really funny. We get a, a kick out of like which languages the book has gotten translated into. And it's, it's just, you know, we're in Poland and we're in, you know, sort of um, all of these um, different places that I, you know, just didn't have in my head before. Um, you know, I, I think in many ways, my philosophy is very, you know, sort of and my voice is very New York based. Hmm. Well, I, whenever I have a parent on the show who lives in the city, New York City and has children, I have my money brain goes off to think and wants to ask, how do you do it? How do you raise grounded children in New York City where they have access to everything. They they see such disparity also when it comes to wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, they see people with gobs of money and then they see you know, ab- abject poverty just walking to the grocery store. So how what are the top conversations you're having about money in your household? And and be honest, even if it's even if they're not easy ones. 
I mean, I mean, if we're talking honesty, I mean, my kids are in private school on the Upper West Side. We get emails that um, people's drivers, we do not have a driver, I will say, except um, my husband. Um, but we get emails that the drivers are, you know, causing congestion, et cetera. So, I mean, from very early on, there was a you know, normal people don't have their own planes and, you know, normal people um, take public transportation and do not have people driving them around. You know, we just, it's not who we are. So it was kind of easy to communicate that. And I mean, I have to say every weekend, I think from the time my younger son was three, maybe three, four, we were just talking about this until recently, because they're now um, teenagers. We were in Vermont, they were skiing, we were out of the city, we were all together in a car talking. Um, we were, you know, sort of spending money only on what we were cooking for dinner. So I, I think just having that outlet, which of course I'm grateful for, or that, you know, balance is, um, is it's important for us as adults, but I think it's really important for them too to sort of escape this, um, crazy world. Yeah. So leave New York city. Yes. (laughs) You keep kids grounded in New York city. You don't, you leave, you leave the city. You just have to like, so that, you know, kids compare a lot. And I think we, I've never been a competitive person. I've always felt, you know, very grateful. You know, all I would want to do with more money is, is travel. You know, we're not very materialistic people, but just to point out like how crazy certain things are rather than, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses or anything like that. Right. I remember one parent telling me that they had to have a conversation with their eight or nine year old who went to school with another eight, nine year old whose dad, you know, ran a media company and that not everybody flies private. No, I mean, <laughs> there is this thing called commercial and most people sit in economy. So that was a, a unique conversation. But I think that I, I really do. It's funny because, you know, like my worst nightmare would be to raise, you know, sort of two entitled spoiled brats. And you talk, you, you mentioned, you know, sort of conversations that you have. We haven't had overt conversations other than I've one that's very, you know, sort of curious about the stock market and, you know, sort of what, what money they're spending and things of that nature. But they like, they totally just get it. You know, I had, my son was apologizing to me that he, was late for a soccer practice and took a taxi when he should have taken the bus, you know? So I, I feel like it sounds so silly, but I just feel like I'm, I'm glad that he realizes that even though he has the taxi app that, you know, that's not the most economical way to get someplace. Mm-hmm. It's an important lesson to learn when you're young that just because you have access to resources doesn't mean you have to tap them. Absolutely. All the time and that they come at a cost. All right, Lauren, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. This is, I alluded to this earlier, but this is when I start a sentence and then you finish it. The first thing that comes to mind. Okay. It's like a oh, right. <laughs> Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is? Uh, travel. Where yeah. would you go? I mean, I went on semester at sea when I was in college and I would love to just go on like an epic around the world slightly differently than I did as a student. (laughs) Not with a bunch of 20-year-olds on a cruise ship? Yeah, not on a freighter, maybe (laughs) not with a backpack. (laughs) A little nicer. Yeah, maybe not the hostels. Right. Um, When I... Whatever I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better that isn't housekeeping is... It's similar to housekeeping, but I would say childcare. I really, you know... Mm -hmm. 
and I don't even think it's child care. I think it's child care and adult care in our house. But, you know, everyone says, you know, I see your Instagram and, you know, how do you are you're with clients and then you're cooking dinner. How do you do it? And I'm like, I don't do it. You know, and I think that um, there was a really interesting article. Um, I forget where it was in one of the papers about how in on social media, et cetera, people or in their discussions, the nannies and babysitters are, you know, sort of people aren't, you know, admitting to it. Oh, yes, and I, I read I, that. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. I mean, I've always, I, I've been the total opposite. I um, feel like I would die without our nanny. I've, since my older son has been six months old, she's been with us and she's just um, the the calm in our in our crazy house. Well, I think there's one thing about, there's talking about your, those who help you with childcare, your nanny, your babysitters, but then there's like photographing them and putting it on Instagram, which to the article's point, you know, people aren't doing that, not because they're being dismissive or forgetful or not appreciative. It's that they don't want their kids and their nannies picture in, on Instagram for safety right. reasons, uh, which I can That's understand, right. especially the higher profile people they were talking about. That makes a lot of sense. But, but, but to your point, I think that caregivers are not just, they don't just look after the child, they look after the family. And um, the more that we can appreciate them, I think, um, they deserve it. It's, it's totally, um, you can't put a price tag on that. No, you can't put a price tag on that. And it's really interesting what you just said, because I do find, um, you know, Louise is our beloved, um, nanny. And I don't even, I wish there was a better word for that, but, um, every time I do post something about her and everyone in a lot of people in our world are familiar with her and, um, you know, have loved her for many years, people are very responsive. And I think it's, I think there's just something about that relationship that needs to be sort of discussed a little mm-hmm. bit more or yeah. people need to be, you know, aside from privacy concerns, just a little bit more real about. Right. I think it was, oh uh, gosh, that the famous actress, not Tina Fey, but her, the, the, you know, they're like, a, Amy, Poehler. Amy Poehler. Yeah. Cause they're always like uh, two peas in a pod. So Amy Poehler upon accepting, I think it was an Emmy or a golden globe. Thanks her nanny on stage. Mm-hmm. Cause that's honestly like, she's like, that's why I get to <laughs> show up at work, <laughs> 100%. which is brilliant and true. Mm-hmm. All right. When I splurge something that some might consider frivolous, but to you, it's everything. When I splurge, I like to splurge on. I mean, it's, it's something that we talked about a little earlier. It's not a splurge, but I definitely feel like, um, you know, I have an Uber habit. Um, that is just that as an adult, I really do think that, um, you know, sort of it enables me to get places and do things while I'm going. I think that in terms of like an actual thing I spend money on, I definitely think if you see my credit card statement that it's, you know, a hundred million percent food, (laughs) Uh, I feel like it's a work expense, even though it isn't, but I, I really can like justify in, um, crazy ways spending anything on food. Well, it's good to know that, you know, you're not a crazy dieter, that you're not abstaining from food, that you're um, indulging in it and uh, and uh, not sparing an expense. Yeah. And I think I think that's I mean, I think it's dying a little bit, but I think that's also a misconception about, um, you know, whether it's being on a certain nutrition plan or a diet is that you, you know, sort of have to choose like, you know, the austerity lane or um, that you, you know, sort of have to feel uncomfortable in your clothing, et cetera. And I think that it's just nobody's willing to do that forever to sort of forego everything. Right. It's not sustainable. No. Okay. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is 
anything. I mean, I feel that, um, you know, I had a great education and, um, but in terms of useful financial information, I mean, I can't think of anything I learned in high school, um, elementary school, college that had to do with um, useful uh, money information. So the answer is everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> the one thing I wish I learned, everything. Um, yes, everything and anything. That is an honest answer. And I think more people would say that. Um because that's the truth. We don't learn about it enough growing up. If we do, it's by accident or it's uh, through our own mistakes. Mm-hmm. When I donate, I like to give to blank because? I like to give to environmental charities because I'm terrified <laughs> in terms of climate change. Right. Well, living in New York, what scares you climate-wise? Is there anything that, like, I mean, obviously flooding to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't even think it's a New York thing. I think it's just, you know, sort of look at the news, look at the storms, look at the oceans. Um, it, I don't even feel it so much um, right in front of our faces, but it's just, um, you know, thinking about my children's future and like not like actually having a planet. Right. Oy. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, let's, let's, let's end on something a little happier. Uh, this is our last fill in the blank. I'm Lauren Slayton. I'm so money because. Because I haven't focused directly on that as the end goal. Mm-hmm. You've been doing what you love, saying no when it matters and making some money along the way. Come on. You've been doing really well for yourself. You're a successful businesswoman. Yes, like a sort of by mistake, but I also think I've, I've, you know, definitely, you know, learned as I've gone. And so I present myself as, you know, sort of a financial idiot. Um, but, you know, really, I, I'm focusing on what I need to focus on in terms of running a business. And we can all appreciate that. Thank you so much, Lauren, and wishing you a nice, relaxing end to 2017. And thanks for helping us get our diet straight before the end of the year. We can approach the new year with some some good habits and wishing you and your family continued success. Uh, you too, and feel better. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I know, I'm a little stuffed up. Thank you. Thanks so much to Lauren for stopping by. Her website is foodtrainers.com and she is on Instagram and Twitter at foodtrainers. All this info is back at SoMoneyPodcast.com. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and let me know what's on your money mind. Let's start talking about all the things you want to accomplish in the new year, what you're still struggling with, if it's savings or getting out of debt, starting that side gig. Let me know. I want to help. New year, new you. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. So Money.